good morning. Good to be with you. And I appreciate the opportunity to bring the word uh, and worship together. Question uh, that I'm launched from here today uh, comes out of this little thing that we've been going through for the last uh, 10 or 11 months that apparently has been somewhat inconvenient for us in a few ways. Our wardrobes have changed. Um, some of our social expressions have changed. And uh, the question that kind of came to my heart uh, very early on was, so who are uh, the people of God in the world uh, at a time like this? We're uh, impacted, affected, like everybody else is. But the reality is, God's presence uh, has not been removed. Uh, God's presence actually has not even been um, And yet, God chooses to do what He does through His Spirit in people. Um, as I ask that question, who are we at a time like this as believers? I also want to ask the question, who can anyone be uh, at a time like this? And it drew me to uh, the recorded Sermon of Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. What is the Beatitudes? Um, but this kind of first image I'd like for you to be looking at is, I want to look at the fact that there are words that Jesus spoke then, and then there are words that he speaks to us now. And uh, out of the same passage of Scripture, not only do I feel like he's helping us understand how to live in times of adversity, but I think he's also speaking to us about how to just live, period. Because the reality is, as a creation of God, we're called to either live as creatures created or as creatures self-created. And uh, I don't think that Jesus would want to exclude anybody in his message. This is a group of people gathered on a mountainside. Uh, apparently, according to Scripture, his disciples were there, but as is true in any gathering, anybody could have been sitting that group of people. And I think it helps us listen to what it is he wants to say. I don't think he's uh, speaking to a bunch of people who have the same uh, football team. I don't even think he's speaking to the group of people who have this political leader in mind. I think he's speaking to people who are hungry and thirsty and want to know, how do you discover life as it was created to be? So I want to make sure as we listen to this this morning, uh, this is a very broad audience. Um, and he begins with, uh, I want to look at verse uh the very front end of this passage. I want to begin by looking at a statement that he makes. And before I do that, I just want to make sure that we imagine what it would have been like to sit on that hillside that day. Um, I wonder what his words would sound like to us then. I wonder what they would sound like to us now. Because then you're talking about a people and a culture who basically walked everywhere they went. They were really, really, really wealthy. They might have had some kind of animal. We, on the other hand, uh, we pretty much drive everywhere we go. Um, 
that has an impact on how we view life. People back then, for the most part, probably raised most of their food and probably uh, went to the market occasionally. Our day, we have discovered not just delivery, but now it's curbside delivery. We have this convenient element built in out of necessity. Back then, communication was primarily uh, written or spoken. And I have to tell you, sometimes I really wish that's the way it was today. The convenience we have and the resource we have now is we can call, leave a voicemail, we can write, we can text, we can leave a voicemail at a person's office, at their home, we can leave it on their phone. There's so many different ways that we can communicate with each other, and I think that the culture that we're in sometimes can kind of change the intent of what Jesus is really trying to say to us. I don't think that what he said then is really any different than what he would say today. But we would hear it differently because of who we are. And it is really one of the greatest gifts we have, um, the words of Jesus. Remember, uh, remember in my childhood, the first time I had a Bible, and it was called the Red Letter Edition. And I was told that any time the letters were read, that's something Jesus said. And I thought that was so cool. Because I really wasn't into a lot of the other stuff in the Bible. I mean, I was just a kid. Come on. But I loved searching and looking for anything in red. Oh, that's something Jesus said. I better be sure and read that. When he talks to us, it's as if he knows exactly what we need. And I think that has something to do with the fact that he's the Son of God. And I, he's probably on this little system of some kind, and, and the Father says to the Son, Oh, I see you have a group of people on a hillside today. Or, Oh, I see you have a group of people gathered on Mother Logan today. Here's what I think needs to be said. Speak it. Do it courageously. So, it says... In the beginning of chapter 5, Matthew, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the hillside and he sat down and his disciples gathered around him. And there's lots of people here. And he began to teach. And I just want to isolate on this for a moment. The profoundness of a simple setting. We have a whole lot of complexities built into where we are right now. Um, you know, I've done like a lot of you over recent months. I've live streamed services. Uh, I've loved it. I have digitally church hopped every week. I'll start with the church at 9 and I'll go make an omelet and catch the next church at 10.30 and have some coffee, a little bit of toast, run in and you're ready for the 12 o'clock service somewhere. I love the ones that are pre-recorded because, you know, if I feel like I've kind of heard it and it's not really where I'm at, I can just kind of fast forward until I feel like I've reached something that's really become quite convenient for us. And I caught myself one Sunday in the kitchen, making an omelet, watching a service, and I said to myself, what do you think you're doing? Sit down and receive the worship of this church. As opposed to, Debbie, do we have any sausage? 
It's the offering. We don't need to pay attention right now. But as I listen to this simple moment of Jesus at a very simple time, here we are now in an extremely complex time. You can pick the church. You can even pick the time. You can even pick the day. And when I try to translate Jesus' simple words, it can get real lost. Well, yeah, he was talking to poor people, and you're going to see here in a moment kind of where my head has gone, where my heart has gone with this scripture. If he's talking to the poor, just exactly who are you talking to here, Jesus? Could that possibly be me? Or is that just some class of people? So here we are, 2021. We are in a simple moment. We have the opportunity, whether we're gathered or gathered somewhere else to refill on our coffee. Here's some amazing words. And he starts off in verse 3 this way. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor, who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I, I really believe he went past, I don't have a lot of stuff. I don't even have a car that starts every morning. I think he went way past that. He was going into the heart of people who realize I got I got nothing going on in my spirit. Something has got to be available to me to make life more than just feeling like every day's the same day. When it's uh when life is difficult, I think we all know this, when we're challenged, when we're kind of inconvenienced, uh it's easy to get to a couple of places that are uh, not so healthy. One of them is the critical mind that thinks that for some reason where you sit, where I sit, we have the authority to evaluate and judge everything that's going on in the world. Who made us Jesus Christ incarnate in that moment? I've wondered about that, and I've heard it. I am in a position in the church where I get to hear a lot about the church in a lot of communities. And sometimes it's absolutely inspiring. And other times it's absolutely heartbreaking to think, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Church, are we, are we people of God? Because our poverty should be really different than people who are not people of God. But I think Jesus bridges this and he goes, if you realize you have a need, whoever you are, whatever your name is, have a news for you. God blesses you in that moment because there is a kingdom available to you. The contrasted words is just absolutely blessed are the poor because you get a kingdom. It will keep going. It's going to get better, trust me. Because there's more than just are you poor? Do you need food? Do you need clothing? Do you need friends? Do you need stability? What he's really saying here is Anyone who in this moment is having a hard time hearing Jesus, the kingdom is there. He moves on, verse 4. Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think of us as a church gathered or as people viewing. I also think of the people that we will meet and interact with in an hour and a half from now and throughout this week. But as the church Here's something Jesus really is zeroing in on us about. Is to be mindful of those who, who are grieving amongst us. 
even just as we prayed this morning, to go to them, to call them, to stand on their porch, to comfort them with love, to be an encouraging presence in their life. We have no idea how many people are actually really mourning amongst us. And if we could move as people to a place where our focus is not so much on how we are the victims of the world, but how God is enabling us to be the comforting presence of the Spirit of the Lord. If we could get past ourselves in that moment, we'd have whole different headlines going on in this world. But I'm afraid that the church has been infected with a lot of victims who think my life story is about, well, Jesus comes and helps me, and it's a good thing he does, because if he didn't, it'd be a horrible, terrible day. And I just got to tell you something. He, he didn't speak these words that might help us. He spoke these words because they change our lives and how we view our lives. I, I am no longer here for what I get from you or anybody else. I'm at a place in my life where it's like, what else, God? What else is it in my pockets? It is in my ears. Is it in my back pocket? Is it in my car? What is it that somehow could be used to glorify and honor you. He uses illustrations about being a isn't it, isn't it amazing the simple illustrations that Jesus uses that are so profound as opposed to, well, this word is just for those of you who are 4.0 in college and have a PhD. Well, there we go, I'm out. Apparently it doesn't apply to me. He's speaking to us right to where we are because the reality is there are those who are poor amongst us. Sometimes it's us. There are those who mourn. Sometimes it's us. And there's something strange, mysterious, when he keeps equating blessing with poor. Blessing. Verse 5, he says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. So let me ask you, have you ever felt like everybody else gets the good stuff? You ever been in that place in life? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, got a new car. Oh, yeah, must be nice. You ever find yourself in that place? Hey, you know, we just sold our house. It was just a, it was so crowded. Those 2,200 square feet just didn't work for us. Oh, and now we're on nine acres and we got sheep and goats. Oh, good. Glad I don't have to do your yard, but happy for you. You know, when stuff goes really well for somebody and there's that little thing, that little leverage thing that could come in and just kind of go, how come, how come not me? God, why not me? And, and somehow you get this feeling that you've been left out. And isn't it amazing? He starts off talking about being poor. He talks about mourning. And he's going to start to turn a little corner here. Every time I teach through this, it's just like one more little thing. He's turning a little corner here and he goes, oh, so let me stop for a moment. If you are in a place of personal spiritual poverty or physical poverty, if you are in a place of grief, let me help you with the first step out of that place. Humble yourself. Okay. Humble myself. Interesting. What happens when we humble ourselves, when we 
as we know, sometimes in the Word and in church, we, we go to our knees, we, we open our heart, we make it our sincere desire to welcome Jesus into our whole life. It's as if God says, in thank you very much, I was just waiting for you to just stop and listen, drop and roll, whatever you got to do, so I can have complete access to you. You know what's amazing about this word? This isn't just for the 8 to 10, the 16 to 18, the 25 to 30 year old. It's for 66 year old people like me that have been in the church my entire life. Wake up this morning to realize, God, you have something for me today. But it isn't just for me today. You have something for me for somebody else. And so here's that somebody else. Verse 6, Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for they will be satisfied and filled. You know what the secret message is there? If you hunger and thirst for anything other than righteousness, you'll never be filled. You ever have one of those meals where you just kind of keep eating and it's, oh, it's so good. And then you come to that tipping point where you realize I really should stop. And then you go to that next place where you realize I really should have stopped. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like tortilla chops, tortilla chips and salsa for me. Just another one. Just another one. Would you like another basket? Yes, we would. And you're driving home and you're saying, why didn't somebody just come along and just tell me, stop, stop. He's telling us, not only it's the only way, but if you just simply hunger and thirst. Isn't this amazing? It's not go by and fix and raise. It's if you just hunger and thirst. And if it is righteousness, you'll be filled. See, as the people of God at a time like this, who's anybody at a time like this? Is there some place, is there some dimension of life where we can live, where we can say, wow, according to the news, this is a horrible time in life. And still be able to say, but thanks be to God, He's taught me to live in the most humble, submissive places and to discover the fullness of who He is. I don't know that this verse is so much for people who know Jesus. Because I would like to say that people who know Jesus, Jesus should really already be in your pantry. There really should be no need for hunger and thirst. We, we should be past that. We know Jesus. We've got it. You ever have one of those, you have one of those pantries in your house where you go out and you go, man, I really wish we had some of that dark chocolate syrup for the ice cream. Oh, here it is. It's in the pantry. You know, if your pantry's full, it's not about, it's no longer about hunger and thirsting. It's about, God, what can I share? What, what can I give? How can I be who you are? But I really think this is more about people who are trying to satisfy their hunger and thirst with anything but Jesus. And it doesn't work. It's empty. It's frustrating. That's why people drink their brains out and wake up the next morning and just go, wow, that was think it was really great last night, but this is horrible this morning. He's telling us there's a way. He's saying, these people ever find Jesus, it's going to be through the people 
who have hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And who might that possibly be? It would be the people who seek God. People who are the witness of God. People whose attitude expresses God. And I, I heard a young lady say this a couple of weeks ago in interviews for credentials for people who are being ordained. And she said, I was a young adult and I was hungry and I was thirsty and nothing satisfied it. And she said, I didn't even know what I didn't know. 20-something years old, brilliant, educated, military, everything going for And she says, I was in a horrible place. And finally somebody came to me and said, do you know about this? And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they said to her, let me show you how to have your hunger and your thirst truly satisfied. It's like when Jesus was at the well and it's like, how much do you drink? We know, we know according to the word of God that when we seek the presence of Jesus, it quenches the thirst. It satisfies the hunger when it comes to Jesus Christ. And I want to say to the church today, the reason we are so intimidated about speaking the name of the public is because there is an evil one doing everything he can to possibly distract us from ever bringing a word of hope into someone's life. Because you know how it is. You know anything about Jesus? Oh, whoa, Jesus, no, don't pop that one on me. But if we want to talk about sinfulness and hatefulness and the governor and the president and whoever else we don't like or don't agree with, oh, everybody's in on that one. But as soon as we drop the Jesus one, the evil one wants to let us know You'll never be welcome in this business establishment again. You'll never be respected by this neighbor again. You'll never be loved by this person. You'll never be appreciated by this person. And nothing could be further from the truth. When I heard her say, I did not know what I didn't know. What a horrible place to be in. And I know the natural thing for people is, well, so do you expect me to go stand out on a street corner and preach? No, no, I think we'd like to request that you not. Okay, can we just say that right now? Please don't. Okay? It's a misrepresentation of who Jesus is for crying out loud. Even holding up the sign in the end zone. Okay, great. We're happy you know John 3.16. Put it down. I paid good money for these seats. Come on now. But no, what are we saying? We're saying that for me, as for me, when I'm hungry, when I'm thirsty, I'm looking for Jesus because it becomes the natural byproduct of who we are. I have to, um, because uh, it's in my neighborhood and I don't want to isolate somebody. But God's working on a relationship with a person. And all I'm trying to be is a neighbor to someone whose religious perspective is about as 180 as it could possibly be for me as a believer. And I'm just trying to be a neighbor. And I haven't even been able to start using the really powerful words like the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has been at work. And I realized, God, give me the courage. But more than just the courage in me, give me the courage in you to speak through me, 
We're crying out loud. It really isn't going to be up to me. It's going to be Holy Spirit through me. And so this, there's this collision here of hunger and thirst. I hunger and thirst because I don't know Jesus. Well, I hunger and thirst and I know Jesus. When you don't know Jesus, the promise is you can be filled. When you do know Jesus, the promise is you can be filled. And it sets us up for an attitude that moves us deeper into these beatitudes. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. And I'm not sure how anybody gets to the place of being merciful in life unless they're, life, unless they're poor, unless they've mourned, unless they've gotten humble, and unless they've hungered and thirsted for him. Because being merciful, that's a tough act. Because you got to care about people. What? Care about people? Really? You mean like care? I mean, you mean talking about somebody besides myself? Caring for myself? Having a mirror in front of me at all times in my life to make sure I'm like, okay. No, it's about having a window in front of us throughout our lives and looking out there and asking the question, where can I be you, Jesus? How can I be you, Jesus? How can I affirm who you are, Jesus? And he says, God blesses those who are merciful for they'll be shown mercy. And it's like you enter into this lifeline. Boy, being merciful is exhausting. But if, it, if it's there because you've, been, you've mourned and you've humbled yourself, and you're seeking God through thirst and hunger. It's like a lifeline of mercy just comes to us, and it just happens. Remember that little crumpled little lady who wore the little thing over her head, and she dedicated her life to caring for people and helping them die. That was her calling in life. And today, when you look at top ten lists of most admired people in history, lots of times, but Teresa shows up. She wasn't in any That's that I'm aware of. I don't even know if she lettered in high school in any sports at all. But she humbled herself and said, I want to care for the people who can't care for themselves. And she goes down in history. Not to bring fame to her, but her whole thing was about trying to make sure people know there's really a Jesus. She makes a statement in one of her books that's just absolutely beautiful. A person says to her, and I didn't read this at the end of one of the things, I actually read the book. Just kind of want to clarify that. You know, sometimes pastors, you know, we like to drop these quotes like, oh yeah, I read that 700 page book and actually I just read it on the back of a magazine. But in her book, A Simple Path, okay, Simple Path. <laughs> Sorry, I stepped on something there. Uh, I think it's called A Simple Path. Somebody asks her, who's Jesus to you? And I know some people go, well, she's Catholic. Okay, get that out of your mind, okay? She says, Jesus is my lover, my friend, and my spouse. When I read that, I thought, that's pretty profound. Aren't you? She's, she's dedicated to a life of self. Literally thinks of herself as married to Jesus. How else do you live the mercy of Christ? It isn't going to come from me. Well, for you, it's going to come from a source somewhere else. And Jesus is sitting on the hillside talking to us today saying, Hey, would you like to be who matters at the time like this? Would you like to be somebody who gets out of the rut that you've been in in life? Bring yourself to a place of personal. Born the of your life. Humble yourself. Hunger and thirst for me. And that you're so much than for you. Because these 
going to be frustrating days. We have been inconvenienced in a lot of ways. And I've been amazed at the people that have been serving us for the last 10 or 11 months. Remember in the early days when you went to the grocery store and everybody was freaked out because stuff was disappearing? Yeah, okay, we all remember that. And we're all hoarding. Go ahead. As my chaplain in college used to say, nod your little heads. We all did that. You know, made sure we have 7,900 bowls back there in a the garage. Okay, I think we're set. Yeah, you're set till Jesus comes back if you got 7,900 rolls. Remember how we kind of hit that panic button? It's going to happen to us. And yet we're the country that has everything at our fingertips every day of the week. And yet there are places where they've never had everything at their fingertips. And here we were in this panic kind of moment, and I walked in the grocery store me one night. Man, you'd think you guys would have stocked these shelves by now. I need to come down and get this thing, and it's not here in your grocery store. And yet it was like 11 o'clock at night, and there's somebody in their stocking shelves. Huh. The next day I'm out doing my yard. This isn't just an illustration. Yes, I do my own yard. Thank you very much. I'm out in the yard, and I'm doing my doing my yard, and I see the postal people delivering the mail, and I went, well, post office is still working. They they delivered my mail today. And I went to the drugstore, and I had to pick up a prescription, and it's kind of one, it's an essential prescription. Gotta have that. And they had it. And it, I, mercy's going on all around me. Even when the law enforcement people were being trash-talked by society, they were still showing up to work, responding to a simple 911 call, putting their lives on the line. Mercy was all around us, and the restaurants were doing everything they could. Debbie and I were over in the Bay Area. She was going through a lot of her cancer journey over there, and uh, the restaurants were starting to build out onto the streets in Palo Alto. And I thought, this is... This is amazing. Of course, they're doing everything they can to stay in business and to survive. But the attitude was, we want to make it as possible we can. We want to do everything we can to possibly help you and feed you while you're out of town and inconvenience because all the other places were closed. And I watched these acts of mercy happening. And I went to the medical facilities. I even had a couple of procedures of my own. And they welcomed me in and they said, we're going to do it. Got a few things you got to do differently, but we're here for it. This is a church. Because we got all bent out of church. And it was just like our world ended. And I thought to myself, this is time for the church to do more than just say, why can't we meet? This is a time for the church to say, how do we express the mercy of Jesus Christ to our community? And I'd love to think we're on the downside here, but it would be arrogant of us to think that we'll never have something like COVID ever again. Ooh, don't, no, don't do that. You never know what's out there, but what sustains us? What brings us through all of this? Well, what brought us through as sinners? The mercy of God. Who, while still sinners, cursing his name, rejecting him, ignoring him, laughing at him, while we were still sinners, he died for us. And the most spiritual thing I can say in a moment like that is, holy cow, that, that's amazing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy 
I hope that we're learning. Yes, this is frustrating. Yes, it's inconveniencing, but I'm hoping that we're learning that one of the ways you navigate through that is so God, how can you use me to be a merciful presence at a time like this? So I said to the postal worker, hey, thanks for working today. I say to the drive-in window people, instead of, hey, you know, it's really inconvenient to have to drive through and get curbside delivery. Then I go, hey, thanks for being open. We'll deal with the harassing of all these consumers that come into your life all the time. I hope we're learning to avoid the tendency to gripe and whine and instead be filled with gratitude for all that we do have in our lives. I messed around on verse 7, so I'll try to get back on track in verse 8. Jesus said in verse 8, God, those whose hearts are pure, for they will see. I had to ask myself the question, just how pure, just how pure are we in adversity? Just how pure are we when Jesus is nowhere near us? Are we pure because of our own opinions or, or because of what we want people in our world to discover about Jesus? I mean, is it about me or is it really about Jesus in this moment, in the midst of whatever it is? The protests last summer, the unbelievable polarization of our country politically, and quite frankly, some of the polarization of the church that's happened. Wake us up, God. Wake us up to see this deeper, full place. And it's easy for me to say this today because in a few moments I'll get in my car and I'll drive back to Stockton. And most people don't want to go to Stockton, so it's a really safe place to live if you set things that are kind of brutal. Because they'll think, I should go tell Steve what I think about his sermon. It's like, eh, he's in Stockton? Really? Eh, I'll catch him the next time he's in Placerville. I may never come back to Placerville. But Jesus pounding away. Look at verse 9. He says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. Have you, have, you, have you ever noticed this, that peace is not always obvious? You know, when there's peace accords signed, it's awesome. Finally, finally some people came together and maybe there will be less war. Sometimes peace is way, way deeper than this. And sometimes peace is way, way deeper than what we have in our The old gospel songwriter said, it's deep and it's settled in my soul. That's a tough place to identify. That's deep. That, that's at a place where it can't even be touched. It may not always be obvious, blessed are those who work for peace. But our call is to have a kind of a peace that isn't just reliant on circumstances, but it is reliant on a presence that is at work in our heart. And when it is, it's amazing what happens in our homes and in our relationships and in our neighborhoods and in our work. Even when we're standing on those little stickers on the floor that tell us how far we're supposed to be from the person in front of us and behind us. Just that whole dimension of life, yes, it has radically changed us. But the peace of God transcends whether I got to be six feet from you, wear a mask, not wear a mask. It transcends all of that because Jesus says, when you allow the work of peace in your life, you really, truly discover what it means to be a child of God. 
Remember that moment after Jesus was resurrected? The disciples were gathered. Imagine the emotions that were going on in that room. Some were like, yeah, knew it happened. He's going to be here any minute. And there were probably some that's like, ooh, I hope he's, I hope he's going to be here. And you know there had to be some, that's it. He's not coming. That's it. I saw it. It's done. The whole thing. We would like for it, but it just did. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen. Here we are. He walks in the room. Jesus, you just rose from the dead. What do you want to say to these people? And he goes, peace. See, when Jesus says all these things, blessed are those who are poor, because they'll no longer be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the humble, they'll inherit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll be mercy. The pure, they'll seek God. When he says peace, it's not just an outcome. It's an indwelling. It's 10. I want to wrap it up here. As we're talking about not only who are we to be at a time like this, because that's typically how you preach the word. You know, this is what you're supposed to be, and that's what the Bible says. But this is really who can we be. Because now we just, now we just enlarge the audience. Anybody, anybody can experience the fullness of God. If it's truly God. Jesus says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And I look at this in the flow of these words, and it's just really in place. Poor, mourning, okay. Humble, okay. Hunger, thirsty, okay. I'm encouraged. Merciful, okay. Pure, okay. Peace, great. Persecuted. It's like, I'm sorry, what? We were kind of on a flow here, and this is feeling like you were going to do something. Persecuted? What? What? Sometimes persecution isn't just what happens to us from people. It, sometimes it's what we do, what we do to ourselves. But he says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we ask these questions. Uh, have we been on a journey that's been a difficult time in our life? And the answer is resounding yes. Are some concerned about what's going to happen to this generation of kids who have been exposed to education in such bizarre ways? What's, who are these kids going to be in the years? Are we concerned about that? Yes, we are. And is it possible that we'll have to keep adjust to some new normals in this world? And it gets their second vaccination. It's hard. There'll be adjustments we have to make. And the people of despair aren't doing well at a time like this. But this is a time for people of faith to discover more than we thought we could ever measure about Jesus. Because he's, he's, he's talking to us here. He's bringing a word into our lives. And I ask the question, how do we discover all that Jesus is saying to us from this whole Possibly it's into our life to the point where we actually find a place of peace today in the midst of everything else that says, you know what? You are Lord. You, you are present. You, you do know where I am. And 
you are being faithful to you, God, in me. But I'm in a place that sometimes feels a little persecuted, sometimes a little inconvenienced. How do we discover this? We roll back through these words and we listen. And after we listen, we receive. You know how we you know how most of us listen. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. We listen. As soon as you're done, I have an opinion, but I'll wait till you're done and you're done and I'll give you my opinion about what you just said. And we're all authorities because we can just look up every fact in the world right here. Oh no, no. Uh-uh. Zambia was not established in 1842. It was 1847. You're off. Well, thank you very much for correcting me every time I open my mouth. And we just we just step all over each other sometimes in this highly informed world. And yet, this is Jesus we're talking about. And if we're going to listen to him, there's got to be this intentional understanding of what it means to receive the word of the Lord. Because it may change me. It may change how I even look at my life. It may change how I even view some people. It may change how I pray for some people. You know, if you don't like things politically, and I don't, I don't know, that seems to be a popular topic in today's world. You know, what we, what we don't like politically in our world. That's, you know, we don't even, we just blew right past what we like. We just make sure everybody knows what we don't like, right? So depending on which network news you listen to, they'll tell you what's wrong with the other network news. It's just lovely. If we're going to listen and receive, it's going to put us in a much more stable place. It's not going to change everything around us because we're going to be persecuted after we live in a sinful, fallen world. But as Paul would say, but thanks be to God. There's a Corinthians where he talks about who always leads us in triumphal procession. Even when we don't know, this is a triumphal moment. Pastor Steve last week talked about the aroma of Christ. I love, I love that. And it's in that same context that Paul says, you know, we're in a triumphal procession here. If, in fact, we not only listen, but we receive the word so that we can live out the most amazing three-word expression in history. Jesus is Lord. Even this moment, when we surrender ourselves so that we can just bring glory to the one who made us, and we rest in the fact now and forever, this last image, that the kingdom of heaven is now. It's not just here. It's it's now. It's present in where I am in my life. And I love this. Yeah, there was a group of people on that hillside that day. Yeah, there were some disciples in it. You know, I'm, I'm in the church that my mom used to attend, and I'm hearing it right now saying, stop saying yeah. Yeah, yeah, say yes or no. Okay, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So the kingdom of heaven is now, and this is it. It's for anyone. It's for anyone. This this is for anyone. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Christ. We're freaked out in today's church about who we let in and who we acknowledge and what we say. But if we'll be true to the statement, Jesus is Lord, and our whole intent is for every person we love and care and serve, and to the place where they will surrender everything that they are, because it's where we all got to be pretty much every day. It's not a, yeah, I surrendered Jesus back in 74. It's been pretty good. It's no, this is I surrendered Jesus to Jesus this morning at about 842. And then I did it again about 1115. I'm probably going to do about four or five more times today. I'm just going to go, Jesus, your Lord in this moment, your Lord now, because anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will discover this amazing place that Jesus invites us to today as his church. I just want to encourage us as a church today when we say we're the church let's not get too complicated with that. There's lots of things we want to do and lots of things we want to be able to say but let's make sure that at the heart of what we do the conviction the confession the words of Jesus not only compel us but they completely satisfy us for whatever God is calling us to. Father, I want to thank you this morning because your word is powerful, it's relevant, it's awesome. We have been in a very drawn-out season. Sometimes every day. We find ourselves expressing it, not again, not this. I, I want to pray, Father, that the dynamic of then on that hillside would become the dynamic of now, that the one who was created to redeem us will be able to speak into our lives that we might be the people of God who honor you, and love you, and glorify you. They're able to bear witness to you. I pray as well today, Father, for anybody who's living their life right now, who thinks that maybe all of this is just way too beyond them. This isn't about connecting to a church, and it's not connecting to a religion. It is about connecting to the one who made them. And I pray for anybody who has a hunger today as they listen who may be bewildered, and part of the reason they're bewildered is because it's about hope. We tend to think there's not a whole lot of hope left in this world, but there is, and it's in you. Father, convert us, change us, transform us, please, that we might believe you, trust you, walk with you, and be the people who speak of the goodness of who you are. We love you today. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the gift. That we might be the people you not only have called us to be, but the people you've made us to be. This is a really, really old song, and I think you know it. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. 
Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.